You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. As we continue our study through God Redeems, it's a story of uh, the children of Israel being redeemed by God, and we're learning a lot about our story, how we've been redeemed by God. Um, and we've been really focusing on this section of the royal priesthood of the saints of all believers. Exodus 28 is about um, the clothes of the priest. The clothes of the priest and how they were to serve as a special reminder of how honorable and dignified it was to serve God. I hope that you got that from that video. It is an awesome thing to serve the living God, to give your life over to him, to surrender, whether that be at a, a service, an internship, as a, as a mom, at your job. Like we're able to serve God wherever we're at because he's with us always. And so um, verse two of chapter 28, it actually says, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. These garments for a specific reason, for glory and beauty. And God wanted to wear, wanted these priests to wear these holy garments to be reminded how special it was to serve him. And so the priest we talked about last week had two functions, two primary functions. They did a lot more and had things, but their goal was to, to represent people before God. And it was a picture of us of how we even represent people before God through intercessory prayer and representing uh, people and praying for them and, and, and talking to God for them, with them, those type of things. The second thing is they represented God to the people. As these priests would live out the law of the Lord, teach and preach and live this out, people would see, oh, that's holy. That's the kingdom of God. That's the way God wants and honor them. And they would see their fruit as they live for Jesus. And so we have prayer, we have preaching, and this is important for us to understand because when we get a reference like this, we may think, well, that was just the Old Testament. It was Israel. It's like no big deal. Ah, on the contrary, the New Testament speaks a little into this to teach us some important lessons of our faith. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I have the, the, the words on the screen here. Uh, the apostle Peter said that we, as followers of Jesus, are the royal priesthood. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a nation, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, just as God redeemed that people, he's redeemed a people in this generation. And he gives calling and purpose and works with them and guides us. And just like he guided the people back then. And so when Peter gives us this illustration. He says, you've been chosen. You represent God. You can make a difference as you pray, as you proclaim the gospel, as you are a royal priesthood, that your life matters and it's honorable and dignified for you to serve Jesus in your day and age right now. So last week, we really talked about this holy calling, the great priesthood, the purpose that we have as believers in our life to serve the Lord. And um, these garments, they reminded of this. They remind of this. Now, I have a quote from Tony Murda. Uh, he says this about these garments. As we're going to dig deeper into this subject and actually go over the text in chapter 28, uh, we'll finish the chapter tonight. He says, These garments provided are pointed to the idea that the priest must be righteous. The psalmist wrote, May your priest be clothed with righteous. Psalm 139 to, uh, 132, verse 9. Ultimately, only one high priest would be holy to the Lord and would be clothed with righteous, and that's Jesus. And so by faith in him, we receive his righteous. That is the only way we stand before God. And so I just want us to have this in mind. How's your ministry going? Have you thought about your purpose, your ministry, what God has called you to do? How he gives you his righteousness and he gives you his purposes and plans for your life? Are you abiding in this high priest, Jesus, to bear fruit? And thinking about coming even to a service right here now, being like, Jesus, what do you want to speak to me? What does that mean for my family, for my community? Like, in these type of moments, the Holy Spirit teaches us who God is so we can be equipped and encouraged and actually sent out into this world to make disciples. And as we do that, it's worship unto the Lord. You see, in, in chapters 28 and 29, talking about the priesthood, five times in this text, the Lord says, you're to serve me, you're to serve me, you're to serve me. Be reminded that all we are to do is to be Christ-centered around who he is bringing him glory. And when we are living for him, he is pleased by that, and he calls that worship. 
It doesn't have to be at a worship service. Our service is unto the Lord, and that is worship. And so, really, we're just believers, had a busy week doing all this different stuff. Now we're coming in, unified, saying, Jesus, speak to us. We need you, God. And um, that's what we're going to do now. Let's pray together, and let's ask God to continue to speak to us. Lord, we thank you so much. We, we pray, Lord, mentally we know these things. There's a lot to be said about them. But God, as we look to your text, as we look to your word, we want our hearts to be uh, receive revelation. We want our faith to be stirred and built up. God, you instructed Moses to make these holy garments. And you have instructed many writers to give us your scripture, the holy scripture, the word of God, to speak into us. So God, speak to us. Let us have ears to hear eyes to see, a heart that is soft to your word. God, we want to bring you glory as we study your word, and I just continue to pray that your spirit would do a work as we continue now to worship, not only through song, through praise, giving, fellowship, but through the study of, our, uh, of your word through our minds, God. And so we love you, Lord. We ask you to speak, and we ask this in your powerful name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. I'm calling this message Holy Garments Part 2. Holy Garments Part 2. Uh, We're going to see tonight in our study that these garments not only serve as a way for us in our priesthood, but they ultimately point us to the holy, most holy high priest, Jesus. And they're going to speak of how he served because he's our great example as Christians. We follow him and we actually see how he served. Because you see these garments, they were not just for Aaron, the high priest of the people of the day, but the The book of Hebrews has been a running commentary of this study in this section because it talks about how Jesus is linked in this text. The Bible says that Jesus is our great high priest and he's a better Aaron and serves as a better high priest than Aaron. Look at a few verses with me. I'm just going to have them on the screen and I'll read them to you so we can have this in our head as we study through the clothing and see how Jesus serves us. Hebrews 5.5 says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, Remember, he humbled himself. He was following God, but was appointed by him, speaking of God the Father, who said, you are my son, today I begotten you. This was a special call purpose that Jesus had for, from God, a calling to be our high priest. You remember Jesus would say, so as the Father sent me, now I send you. So when we talk about priesthood, it applies to both. These garments not only point to the ministry we have, but the role that Jesus had and still has as our high priest and example. Hebrews will go on and say in chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, that this makes Jesus the guarantor. Guarantor? That's a funny word. (laughs) (laughs) That is not the word. Um, The guarantor. Someone say it for me, please. Now I... Thank you. Praise God. Uh, what, what does he guarantee? A better covenant. Okay? It's, it's a greater covenant. It's a better covenant. I still can't believe I said guarantee her. Um, the former priests, it says, were in number, uh, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Right? Men, women, we die, right? But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Spoiler alert, Jesus rose from the dead. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's the mediator, the great high priest, the the servant of God, and we are to look to him and see these principles laid out in him. And so as we follow this priesthood, we're not just following principles and how to serve. We're following Jesus because we're going to see this is how he served us. He, he put on not clothes of, uh, made by, my, by hand, but he actually put on garments of flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he serves in this special way. And we're going to see how these holy garments now point us to Christ and the great ministry as well. So, I have a picture for you, and I'm going to explain it to you so you can just get the process. Now, in our connection table, we actually have these pamphlets where we've been talking about the tabernacle. In one of the pages is this picture right here. 
Uh, we have actually plenty of pamphlets like this, so if you want to grab one on your way out, if you're new, they're free. It's our gift to you. Or if you need a Bible, we have a lot of resources out there for you. Um, obviously, you couldn't see this, so I'm going to put it on the screen. And I just want to sort of explain it to you real quick uh, before we get into the text, because verse 4 sort of even serves as an outline for us of the instruction Moses gets from God to do these garments. And there are seven pieces of garments from the high priest that they would wear. Uh, if you look at the Bible uh, in verse 4, it actually says that these are the garments that shall be made. It's a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. And in verse 42, at the end of the chapter we'll cover, that also mentions linen garments. So as you look at this picture, I want to start just from the, the the sort of inside out of what these things are, and then we'll dive deep into it briefly. But in serving God and the people, the high priest were to wear these seven clothings. This would be their garment. Now, obviously, this is a, a, a rendition or someone, artist, made this picture, but it helps us sort of give a visual. It would start with the linen undergarments, verses 42 through 43. Then after that, the priest would wear a white inner robe, or the ESV says it's a checkered, uh, a coat of checkered fine linen. Other translations say a fine linen tunic. That's in verse 39. Outside of that or on top of that, there would be a blue robe over that with bells and pomegranates of on the hem, verses 31 through 35. The ephod uh, was a sleeveless garment of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet held together by a jeweled clasp on each shoulder, verses 6 through 14. Then there was the girdle or the sash at the waist uh, in verse 39, and then a jeweled breastplate held on place on the ephod of gold chains attached to the shoulder class, which, are, which had actually 12 um, precious stones, verses 9 through 30, and the white linen turban, or a miter, uh, with the gold plate was on the head, and it described holy to the Lord, verse 36 through 39. Whew. Now, I know that's a lot, but that's actually what we're going to cover all tonight, slowly, and we're going to do it in the order of not from how he wore it, but how Moses was instructed, because we're going our study through the scripture, through the text. And so let's read about the ephod, uh, verses 6 through 14. Forgive me, there will be other words that I get wrong. So, uh, especially when it comes to these jewels, man, it's just awesome. In uh, verse 16, 6 through 14, we're going to read together and talk about each element, and we'll do it briefly. I don't have all the scripture on the screen as we read, like usual, just because it's so much. But again, not to overwhelm us, but I just want to give us a little bit of principle, a little bit, and a little sort of drip this, okay? And they uh, shall make an ephod of gold, of blue and of purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine twine linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edge, uh, two edges, so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. See how I've given you that picture so you can sort of have that in your mind. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Remember, there were 12 tribes of Israel. Six on their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them um, settings of gold filigree and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of fine gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to settings. Now, one of the reasons we have all this detailed instruction, because this is a real event, they skillful workers would take all of this section and actually have to build what that picture had with the stones and the onyx stones and the clasps and all this different stuff. For us, it gets a little bit um, detailed because we're not building it. 
It's already been instructed, it was already built, but there's principles for us to that. Uh, the ephod was uh, literally the translation is a Hebrew word for a sleeveless linen garment, and it reached to the ankles of the high priest, and it was usually associated for religious services. Now, we see this also in other scripture. You remember Samuel the prophet uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. He was a little boy, and he was ministering unto the Lord with this ephod. King David, he danced before the Lord, when the Ark of the Covenant actually came back to Jerusalem, uh, danced undignified, and he danced before the Lord wearing an ephod. Um, it was like an apron or a long sleeve vest, and it would be part of the outfit, but not all of the outfit. That's why Abigail, his wife, would be like, why are you dressing around just with that thing on? That's inappropriate. That's sort of weird. But this is part of scripture and as established here in chapter 28. The high priest ephod and sash or girdle were made of this white linen, beautiful embroidered uh, outfit of blue and purple and gold and scarlet threads. And the ephod had two pieces. It had a front and it had a back and it was held together on each shoulder with a jeweled gold clasp also by the sash around its waist. Um, the significant thing about the ephod wasn't necessarily the colors, although that's important and we could dig into it, or the fabric. Again, linen, soft material, awesome to serve God in that. But the significant thing of this ephod was the six tribes of Israel on each onyx stone. Each onyx stone. The names were according to the birth order of the Israelites. We know that there was 12 tribes in the nation of Israel, and they were engraved on the stone by the skilled worker, and then they were placed on the shoulders, or the shoulder clasps, um, and then that's part of this outfit. Uh, it was to remind the high priest that wherever and whenever he went and wore the special robes, he carried the people on his shoulders before the Lord. It was significant for him to know this. Now, one commentator said this. I don't have it on the screen, but it says these two onyx stones reminded him of two important facts. The tribes of Israel were precious in the sight of God. It was engraved on a precious stone. And he was to be reminded that the people that he was serving were precious in God's sight because he made this and instructed them to write them down. The second thing is he wasn't, uh, he wasn't in the tabernacle to display his beautiful robes or exalt his position, but to represent the people before the Lord and carry them on his shoulders. You know, remember, this special outfit was very significant. It's not like everyone had this beautiful uh, outfit and garments. And it would be a highly thing and pride can creep up. But the reason why he was wearing this was not to puff himself up, but to be reminded um, and that it was about other people and these beautiful robes were to represent the people before the Lord. He had been called not to serve himself, but he had been called to serve others. So you don't just go and wear a special tuxedo and then go fill up your gas tank. You know what I'm saying? There's a purpose, a reason why you would wear a suit or a special dress for a special event. And he's having this special event in the holy place, the most holy place, for the people to represent them to atone sin, usually on the day of atonement. Now, this is a beautiful picture of Jesus because in Luke chapter 22, verse 27, Jesus told us and said, I am among you as one who is a servant. I'm a one, among you as one who is a servant. He humbled himself to serve us, not to be served, and even taught his disciples this example in John 13 as he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus did this because we are precious in his sight. He came as a servant to represent the people before God by bearing the weight of our sin on his shoulders and dying for our salvation. The ultimate sacrifice. No greater love is this than one laid down his life for his friend. And Peter, the same Peter that wrote about our royal priesthood, in that same chapter, just a few verses next to that, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it actually says, He, speaking of Jesus, bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. We're told that we can go to Jesus as our high priest and actually Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7 to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. 
He takes on our burdens. He hears our prayers. He forgives our sin. He does this, and He did that by taking on flesh, by putting on this garment because we're precious in His sight. You know, I think oftentimes we think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we think about God the Father and His love towards us, but don't forget that Jesus submitted willfully because it was the joy set before Him that He bared the cross, endured the shame. He, he actually loves you and me and he cares about us so the the bible says now as we serve philippians 2 4 and 5 we're to look out for others interests having the mind of christ being servants and following this example carrying the weight of other people in fact galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says that we actually fulfill the law of christ through love by bearing one another's weight praying for one another caring with one another walking with one another that we're to put on God's righteousness and the way that he does things. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, If the church is to be faithful as a holy priesthood, believers must serve Christ by serving one another and serving the lost world. What a beautiful picture of service, this ephod, that would be reminded of the priest and how Jesus fulfilled, and now we're to walk in this example. So the ephod was a beautiful reminder of servanthood. And how we are to lovingly serve people unto the Lord. The next piece, the breast piece, our breastplate, verses 15 through 30. This is where you're going to have to help me, give me some grace, because there are some stones that even some commentators don't even know what they are. You shall make a breast piece of judgment, verse 15, in skilled work, in the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen shall you make it. It shall be squared and doubled, a span. Now that word span is like a, like, a, like a cubit. It's nine inches. We'll get into that, just briefly mention it. Its length and its span and its breadth. You shall set it uh, at four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, carbuncle. Carbuncle? shall be ever the first row. The second row are emerald, a sapphire, and diamond. The third row, jankins, an agat, and an emeths. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and jasper. Whew. Now, this isn't the first time I actually had to read these out loud because we actually did a study of Revelation. And did you know these jewels are in Revelation as well? Just on your own time, you should look it out. There shall be a set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. Now you shall make the breastpiece twisted chains like the cords of pure gold, and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the edge of the breastpiece, and you shall put the two cords of the gold in the two rings at the edge of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of the filigree and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold, put them at the two ends of breastpiece, uh, breastpiece on, its, on its inside edge next to the ephod. Verse 27, And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front of the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod. And as it seemed above the skillfully woven band of the ephod, and they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod and a lace of blue, so that it may lie in the skillful woven band of the ephod, so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put Urim and Thirium, Thummim. I don't even know how to pronounce that. We'll get into those two words too. And they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes into before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Wow. Okay. Again, we're hitting this briefly because each, 
each passage of Scripture, each section, we can actually do a whole message. There's so much in there. But let's just start with the outer line of what this breast piece means, verses 15 through 30. Uh, it was a beautifully embroidered fabric, um, like the ephod, uh, but it was nine by nine inches. So it wasn't that big, but it was a span by a span, nine inches. Uh, it hung on the high priest's chest and was attached by the two shoulder clasp. On the breastplate were 12 fine jewels arranged in four rows. You could pronounce them any way you'd like to do that, okay? And these rows, they represented, these stones represented each tribe of Israel. These very variety of stones also represented the variety of people that the nation represented. Uh, the genders, the ages, their unique and special ability, and they, the people within these tribes. There would be different types of personalities and people, all unique and special and close to the high priest's heart. The significant thing about the breastplate was that it was over the heart. It wasn't just enough to bear the burden of the people on his shoulders, God wanted to remind him to carry them on his heart as well and to love the people as well. You see, it's not just about the mission of God. We would know the great commission for us is to make disciples. But there's also the great commandment, love. How you do things matters. So the high priest would have to bear the weight of the people but he also had to have them close to their heart because it's not just what he did, but how he did it. Jesus, the great high priest, didn't just serve us, but you have to know he loves us. He cares for us. We're close to his heart. The motivation for God serving us is his love. He thinks highly, oh, how precious are his sight, his, uh, precious are his thoughts for us. Psalm 139 says they, they outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Or Ephesians chapter 2, and think about our redemption, the people of God, verses 4 through 5, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. You see, the Bible declares that our God is a God of love. He took the judgment that we should have had because of love. Again, Warren Wiersbe says this, helping people and meeting their spiritual needs is what ministry is about. And this demands a great deal of patient love on our part. We are a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. Verse 9 of that chapter in Peter. But he says we must continually be a loving priesthood as well. We need to be loving. This was a reminder, hey, these people need to be close to your heart. You remember what Paul said in Corinthians chapter 13, speaking about ministry and gifts and how the Spirit moves and works through us? He says, man, if you speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, it's just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He would say, and if, if you have prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if you even have faith to remove mountains, but if you have not love, then it's nothing. You can give away all that you have and be delivered up for your body to be burned, but have not love. And the Bible says you will gain nothing. We need to be reminded that love is so important on how we serve. Not just what we do, but how we do it. Now we see this important principle in this text in verse 30. These words that are sort of like Hebrew words, so I don't know how to pronounce them correctly, but the irum and theorem. I'm just going to say that. Theorem. Thomim, Thomen, Themen, Thom, They. I refer to all Hebrew language to Robin Wilk. She can explain everything for you. <laughs> but these two stones were a great way to love the people and help them follow God. And I think it's important because how do you practically love people in our day today? And these stones would be in the pouch or in the span, this little pouch of this breastplate. It would sort of be hidden. Verse 30 says, in the breastplate of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Therum, and there shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear judgment of the people of Israel and his heart before the Lord regularly. The idea that Aaron would, the NIV says, bear the, the, the means of making the decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. That's what the NIV says. Uh, it would be 
they would use these two stones. He would use these two stones and ask God for wisdom, sort of like lots or dice, where we see in Scripture. Because the, the Hebrew people would have known God uh, is able to use this means. In Proverbs 16.33, it tells us that God can use these type of means. So they would bring an effort or something before the Lord on behalf of people, and they would literally grab in the pouch, and they would grab one of these stones. Now, no one really knows exactly what these two stones are, uh, but we do know what they say. One was black, one was white. Uh, my guess is if you get a white one, you go for it. If you get black, you stop. You don't go their way. I don't know. But actually, no one really knows. The words literally mean light and perfection. So you can actually place before the God, for the Lord. They would actually have this pouch. They would pray before the people interceding. And they say, Lord, do you want us to go left or right as a nation? Do you want us to go straight or back? What would you have us do, Lord? And they would go gather these stones and take one out and get direction. Uh, they were kept hidden in the pouch of the breastplate, uh, the blessed breastpiece close to the heart. And the high priest would use them to determine the will of God for the nation. And we actually see this as King David did this at the end of 1 Samuel when with he got from the high priest the epod and these stones and he was trying to make a decision over the nation of should they go in the battle or should I not? And somehow he prayed to God, use these stones, and God directed him. Tony Murda, commentator, says this. Today, we have something better than these two mysterious stones, the Spirit and the Word. Plus, we have a great high priest who hears our concerns and takes them before the Father. You see, although we don't have these stones and they were only for the high priest, we have something greater. God guides his people through his spirit and his word. And the best thing that we can do if we want to practically love people and give instruction to people and care for people close to our hearts is give people the word of God so they will know the will of God for their life. And in fact, the Bible actually directs us as disciples to do this. David would say, well, how can a young man keep his ways pure but yet living according to your word? Or, or your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. If we want to know the decision for people and give godly counsel advice and love people well, we need to be men and women of God's word to speak that into people's lives, to give them direction. The best way we can love people is by pointing them to God through his word for decisions and knowing his will. And this is what Jesus, our high priest, did because in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, God spoke to the prophets and these things of old, but now God has spoke through Jesus, his son, the living word, which is the exact imprint or radiance of the heart of God. We, we can follow Jesus and his word for guidance and get direction, for he is the living word, and he came to reveal the Father's heart and will for us. He is the great high priest that doesn't need stones because he is a better covenant. He is a better high priest and we can now just go to him and we are blessed to listen to him, to follow him, to obey him. And so as he serves us as a high priest and we get direction from God, now we give that direction to other people. Now, the last pieces of this garment, they deal with how we as priests should serve in the fear of the Lord, in wisdom, right? Um, and I love this because in the ephod, you really see more of like the hands or the work of what we're to do and what the high priest was to do. The breast piece, it signifies the heart, the motive of what we're to do. And then the inner garments, the sash, the turban, um, the, the headpiece, the mitre, um, it's all about character and uh, the head, what we think and who we are. This is sort of a cool picture on service. Um, and serving the Lord, how we're to worship God and to serve him with our head, our hands, and our heart, with our whole being. Remember when Jesus said in Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 21, I believe, he said, you're to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're to love God with our mind, body, and soul, and everything that we have. And all of these elements and pieces are actually reminding us, listen, bear the work with your hands and shoulder and load, but, but love people, motivate people, but do it with a pure heart. And that's why you have things like undergarments so they wouldn't be exposed and to walk in righteousness and these other layers of saying, holy unto the Lord. Let's look at these briefly. You guys are doing great, by the way. Just, 
I mean, I've just taken hours upon hours of just meditating and studying, like, how can I even pour out all this information very quickly to you? You're doing great studying along. Verse 31 through 35. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and it shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it, with a woven binding around the opening like the opening of a garment so that it will not tear. It was one sort of beautiful uh, piece of linen. On its hems you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hems with its bells of gold between them. You remember that the, the high priest would go into the most holy place and if they weren't pure they would die and they would hear the bells ring and pull them out. It was a signification of, man, this is where the high priest is at. This is, a, this is what he does. In verse 34, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a, go, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of, a ro- of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, when he goes into that high place, in that holy place. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. Uh, this was a blue robe worn under the ephod. It was a seamless robe, which symbolizes God's perfect character, integrity. John 19, 23 talk about that. But yet the bottom of this road and of the hem of the robe, it actually had some gold bells of pomegranates and pomegranates. And this should remind us that the things that are done in secret, the Lord will openly reveal. Remember, it was only the high priest that would go into this holy place, but yet this was to signify that people notice what you do in the secret place. You can hear the work. You can see this beauty. The gold would sparkle and shine. Mark 4.22 teaches that character matters in how we serve the Lord. And so these bells made noise and shone beautifully uh, as the priest would serve, and people would notice the good work that the high priest was doing. And the Bible says, so too with us. As we live for God and serve in integrity and in character, or Matthew 6, the secret things of our heart, the Lord opens opens uh, rewards openly. We actually will be a witness to when we serve God unto him and the world will notice. The Bible says we'll be like salt and light. They'll be able to see how we're different. They'll be able to understand this and give glory to God as we fear the Lord and live for him in integrity and walk in his ways. It's a pleasing aroma to him. And we do this unto the Lord, but the world notices. Like you notice other people's character. You notice uh, the, the, the great consequences and rewards of someone who is either righteous or unrighteous. Even if they don't flat out transgress against you, you can't hide that from the Lord. And this text says if he were to hide his sin, they would die, fall down, and they would receive him back. Just like you, everyone will give an account, but the way that we live in this, ma- this world matters. And people notice how you live. One commentator said the pomegranate symbolizes fruitfulness and the bells gave their witness that the high priest was ministering in the holy place. The bells and the pomegranates remind us that our priestly walk must be fruitful and faithful, always giving witness that we're serving the Lord. Now there would also be another aspect of holiness and guarded around the high priest's head, the turban, the turban, verses 36 through 38. Read with me those. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, and you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban, and it shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel uh, consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on their forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord." Now, this turban was to be worn on the high priest, while the other priest, verse 40, actually says that other priests had caps. This was a little bit different and special, uh, because on the front of this turban, there was a gold plate, and it said, holy uh, to the Lord, or unto the Lord. It was to be around their head of the high priest, and to teach us that our thoughts, our minds, they need to be holy, pure, and unto the Lord. I think we often forget about this aspect that we're to worship God with our minds. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that we are to show ourselves uh, approved being good students of God's word. That doctrine really does matter. What you think, you actually can become. 
it, it matters. It affects you. Your, 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 um, your mind, it affects your behavior because our faith has work. So what you believe matters. And this is significant and important even as we come to God's word and hear eternal truths. It's shaping us. It's forming us. This is why Philippians 4.8 says, well, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It makes a difference. You see, because Colossians 2.3 tells us that Jesus, our high priest, in him is all wisdom and all knowledge. He, he is reality. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And it's very easy to see Jesus in all wisdom and serve in this wisdom as he was this excellent rabbi and teacher. And he still does his spirit. Christ's spirit teaches us. Like the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the great teacher. We have scripture. It's perfect. But for us walking in Jesus' footsteps, we are not all wise. We do not know everything. We are finite. And we must cling to God's word and renew our minds, Romans 12, 2 says, by going to God's word and having him form us and shape us. This is why the Bible says in Philippians 2, 5, have the mind of Christ, because we acknowledge that he is holy unto the Lord, that he was acceptable, that he does bear truth, and that his exact radiance imprint and actually represents God completely and fully. To the high priest, this would just be a picture of that. But Jesus is that because he is fully God and fully man. And we now as priests need to be men and women of the word of God and walk in wisdom as we follow Jesus and his word and we gain, we gain wisdom. Now the last sections, verse 39 is one verse. So we'll just go briefly, even though it mentions uh, three things. In verse 39, it talks about the coat of checker work and the sash. The coat of checker work in the sash. You shall weave the coat of checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. It's talking about this fine linen material and what's to make the checker work, the sash, the turban. Uh, the coat of the checker work um, is also known as a tunic. Uh, New King James and IV, those translations say that, but it's a basic garment of the priest. And then the sash would be like a girdle or like a belt. It was to secure the tunic. So these two things sort of get, went together. They all the same material. But although these were basic parts of the priest's wardrobe, they were very important for comfort. They were very important for comfort. Um, they served almost as the underwear and the belt of the outfit. And what I find interesting and I love about this is God actually was concerned for the high priest's comfort, for their well-being as they served. I think oftentimes we think, well, if God just gives us all this weight and he wants to crush us. No, actually, when he orders us to do something, it's the most loving thing for people, but also for us. He cares for us. He doesn't want our just lives falling apart. He wants us to depend on him. So sometimes he does give us a lot of weight to do, so we actually would cling and pray to him and know him more in an intimate way. It's important. It shows us that God isn't just concerned with the outside things that people see, but he cares about the things that people may not see. And he cares about our souls as we serve him. In fact, verses 42 through 43, jump down with me real quick. It talks about how all these priests were to wear the undergarments. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs and they shall be on Aaron and your, on his sons. And when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die, this shall be a statue forever for him and for his offspring after him. Uh, this undergarments or these undergarments, they kept the priest from being exposed as they serve. As you know, they would climb up and make sacrifices and bend over and do a lot of stuff at the altar. Uh, one commentator said, Clark, that this was a reaction to the nakedness of many pagan priests performing their rituals back in the day. Uh, he says that this command had in view the necessity of purity and decency in every part of the divine worship. In, op in opposition to the shocking indecency of the pagan worship in general, in which the priest often ministered naked, but not so with 
the, these priests and the high priest, God wanted to cover them. Uh, God wanted the priests to serve him in purity and not expose them and in, expose them and give them shame. And so too with us. We are to be sexually pure knowing that this is the will of God for our lives, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says. And not to even have a hint, Ephesians 5.3 says, of sexual immorality among us as believers. God wants us to walk in purity, to be holy as he, are, he is holy. And this is why all the priests had these holy garments, not just the high priest. Now, Verses 40 through 41, I skipped that so we could finish on this because the series and the study continues to go on as we'll look at the consecration of the priest in chapter 29. But verse 40 through 41 says this, For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make for uh, them for, what is those two words again? For glory and for beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve as priests. Now, it isn't just Aaron, the high priest, serving the Lord as the high priest, but it would also be his sons as priest. And this is just a cool reminder as we sort of think about uh, and finish up this sort of section. Um, because although Jesus is our great high priest, the Father also not only called Jesus, but calls us to serve him as well. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. This is why God tells Moses, call the whole family. They're all involved. And you know our salvation in involves our adoption as the family of God. He wants everyone involved. We are saved by grace, but then we're predestined to walk in these good works. And even Aaron's son, they had some garments as well. It wasn't just about the high priest, but it was also about the, all of the ministry. And it reminds us the great call Jesus gave us. God desires to use us as well to serve like Jesus and to be his royal priesthood, his holy nation, uh, this special, dignified, honorable thing that we get to serve the Lord here and now. But the text says in order for us to do that, we need special anointing. Uh, the word is maybe consecration. We'll look at that next week and empowering of the Spirit. It says, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve as priests. And this is what we're going to look at next week in 29, what it's all about. But as we close, if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 5 real quick. As we lead into communion and close out just singing and praising God, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10 I think we should have this honorable aspect of Jesus, of how he makes this high priest. The text says this, and this is in heaven when it says, and they were singing, they, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood, Ransom people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest for God. And they shall reign on earth. This is what they're actually saying in heaven at this time. And history magnifying God and worshiping him. For he's the only one that could save and shed his own blood for us. But we know that when we take communion and partake in that, we're remembering how we became priests in the great calling. It wasn't because the clothes and the righteousness we put on our own works. It was by God and his great calling of giving us his righteousness, him forgiving our sin. This is what makes us great priests, ones that overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony by Jesus and his great sacrifice. And I think we need to be constantly made aware of this in our role as a royal priesthood that it's all about Jesus and his kingdom and his reign. It's not about us. He was the one that made us into this role and we get to worship him through this role. The great high priest was in charge of the entire priestly order and involved super, uh, superintending the other priests and the Levites as well. Numbers chapter 3, Numbers chapter 8. But the Bible now says Jesus is our high priest. 
He's our high priest. He, he's the head of the body. Everyone's involved. And it's his role to get that gift. And he does it liberally and, and put that person there and to serve together. And he, there's this priestly order because as we look to him, there's a great command of blessing because we just do the things God's called us to do, bringing glory and beauty to him. And so what I find interesting in this section you may or may have not known it, but did you notice there was no shoes described? Anybody? There, there was the head, there was the, I mean, come on, we even talked about the underwear here, people. But there was no shoes. He was barefoot in the picture. Little cue for you. Do you remember in our study earlier in Moses, when he went before the burning bush, and God met with him and he said, just Moses, it's holy, take off your, take off your sandals. This ground is holy. Here's something awesome about this garment. Their work was holy unto the Lord. And the reason why it was holy is because God's presence was with them. The reason why there's no shoes for us in the priesthood in this type of picture is because when we serve God, he is with us. We get to experience the beauty and the glory of God as we serve him and love him. Let's be thankful that we get to experience this, not because we have to do all this different stuff or, or cover our dirty, dirtiness and their feet. But man, we can go to Jesus like he washed the disciples' feet, Peter, and cleansed him. He said, man, I got you. Jesus has us. When we take communion, we're reminded that Jesus died for our sins and he continually consecrates us, purifies us. As we abide in him, he empowers us, he gives us fruit to be witnesses to the world and it's all because he is our great high priest. He cares that much to walk with us. So wherever you go, whether it be a great responsibility or little, know that he wants to walk with you, empower you, encourage you, equip you to do those things he's called you to do. And there is nothing greater. It is dignified, it is honorable, and it is great. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake because he is our great shepherd and he walks with us. Amen? And so now let's take communion. Let's thank God that we get this great role because of what he did. Jesus, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you, God, how we can study a crazy section amount of scripture like this and still receive instruction from your spirit. What was actually written for a real person thousands of years ago to a real nation in real order actually blesses us because you are a real God that is sovereign. and You're able to write and pin things down in scripture to speak to generations. Lord, and if you tarry, Lord, then it will speak to our kids and our grandkids and those that will continue to go on, but we know that when we come together, we realize there is a kingdom and there is a God greater than our kingdom, greater than us. We are not God and you are. So we want to recognize that. We want to thank you, Jesus, for snatching us from darkness into light, for dying for our sins. God, we want to thank you for your love. I pray, God, as we take communion, we are reminded of your love once again. First John 4 says, God, you manifest your love for us by dying on the cross. You sent your son through the propitiation for our sins and we're grateful. And so we want to take time to respond by faith, partake in communion and declare that you are coming back because you not only died, but you rose again. And so now, Lord, when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we are saved. And we want to do that now and just say thank you. We love you, God, and we bless you. May you continue to do that great work that you could only do in our hearts. He who began a good work is able to complete it. So do that work that you need to do tonight, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.